sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? What well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports. With the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. Oh, look at the flip. Takes it in for the touchdown. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Bias, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. In the words of Rob Kim, it's been a long time. I shouldn't have kept you without a strong podcast to step to. Think of how many weak podcasts you slept through. Well, time's up, and I'm sorry. I kept you. Wendell's World of Sports. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports. Que pasa? Shalom. Wassalamu alaikum. Konnichiwa. Good morning. Good abend. All that good stuff. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host. Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of great things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Before I do, anywhere where you're listening to this podcast, my one request always, download, subscribe, Rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. If you can do that, it would make my day, and then some, and then some, and then some. Man, I'm recording this on a Thursday. Normally record this either on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, but I'm still going through vacation withdrawals. I'm still going through cruising withdrawals. I still have a hint of depression. I still have... Me staring off into space saying, man, I should be on the cruise right now. Oh, the experience was so fantastic. This has been my third cruise in four years. Was supposed to be going down to Cabo because of a tropical storm down there. Instead, we went to San Diego, then Catalina Island, then Ensenada, then going back up to Long Beach where the cruise started. Really didn't care. Um, had the opportunity. I love myself in Catalina Islands. Walked all over Catalina Islands. Saw all the neighborhoods of Catalina Islands. Put a lot of wear and tear on my legs and my knees and my feet walking around Catalina Islands. Up the mountains, down the mountains, up the hills, around the hills, through the neighborhoods. It was fantastic, man. If I had money, if I had like, you know, rich money, and if I was like 10, 15 years older, Man, Catalina Islands would be one of the places I would be consider, considering retiring to. Love me, love me, love me some Catalina Islands. Then went down to Ensenada. Just the whole experience of being on a cruise. Don't know if you've ever been on a cruise. Don't know the last time you've been on a cruise. Don't know which ship line you were on to go on the cruise. I went on Carnival. I'm not uh, advocating one or the other. I've always been on Carnival because I want to rack up those points. But um, it was fantastic. It was fabulous. It was wonderful. It was heavenly. It was so relaxing. It, 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 pure, pure relaxation. It's pure heaven. Pure relaxation. That's all I can say about the cruise. One of the best things other than the food. It's just pure relaxation. You ain't going nowhere. You're in the middle of the ocean. 
You ain't going nowhere. You have no obligations. You know, you have no deadlines. So all you can do is just sit back and relax. And that's exactly what I did, man. I sat on my balcony. I listened to my Aretha Franklin. I listened to my, I listened to my um, George Benson. I listened to my Four Tops. I listened to my Otis Redding. I listened to my Donny Hathaway. I listened to my Curtis Mayfield. I listened to my James Brown. I listened to my Anita Baker. I listened to all of that good stuff, man. Read my book about Motown and just relaxed. Ate as much food as I could. Those Gaffieri burgers with the uh, fries, fantastic. The shrimp and steak burritos, awesome. The fish and uh, fish and chicken tacos, wonderful. The BLTs and ch- Philly cheesesteaks, incredible. Just on and on and on and on. It was it was marvelous. It was fantastic. I can't speak enough about how great it was, man. And uh, yeah, so I'm so happy that I went. The reason why I didn't do a podcast. Um, last week, one of the things, you know, at night, kind of walking around the ship a little bit, you know, getting my walk in and getting my, getting my exercise in after eating all that stuff, after eating my clams and my shrimp, uh, uh, combo. So took in one of the shows just a little bit, just spent about 30, 35 minutes watching one of the shows. Now, Carnival, the cruise line that I went on. Very talented performers. Very, very talented performers. They could sing, they could dance, and they could do all those things. So I went to two performances. Uh, I went to the 80s uh, night where they were singing all the songs from the 80s. And I went to the the, the, the Motown Review where they were singing Stevie Wonder and... They were singing Stevie Wonder and the Supremes and Aretha Franklin and Al Green. And again, talented, talented, talented performers extraordinarily talented but you know when you're singing the soulful stuff just for the guy who puts this stuff together or the gals who put this stuff together or the guys and gals who put this stuff together if you're gonna sing some Al Green if you're gonna sing some James Brown if you're gonna sing some Aretha Franklin if you're gonna be singing those type of uh, artists find someone who has a little bit of soul in them again not knocking that they can't sing. They can sing. They can sing, but they don't have that soul in them, man. And I, and I know that it's hard to repu- replicate because, look, when you're speaking about trying to sing Al Green, when you're speaking about trying to sing um, The Temptations and, and The Supremes and Stevie Wonder and The Four Tops and Donny Hathaway and all these people, you've got to realize, man, one of the reasons why they made, they were so great one of the reasons why they were so legendary, James Brown, one of the reasons why their, 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 their music and their sound was so unique and so different and really can't be attained is because, man, from what they came from to what they were going through. I mean, you can't replicate singing Marvin Gaye when you hear about his life, when you read about his life, when you know about his life, when you're talking about these folks, these legends, these icons, the American, the, 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 these idols, these pioneers, these trailblazers. In the form of music and what they did to, um, what they did to shape this world, to shape this society, the impact, the positive impact that they have. When you're speaking about Sam and Dave, when you're speaking about James Brown, when you're speaking about Aretha Franklin, when you're speaking about these folks, when you're speaking about Gladys Knight and the Pips, when you're speaking about Stax, when you're speaking about Motown, when you speak about these artists and what they had to go through and what they were singing from, the soul and the heart and everything that they were going through. I mean, you can't replicate that if you've never really been through it. Again, you can't be singing some song from the soul with Marvin Gaye because you don't want to go through what Marvin Gaye went through. 
for him to be able to sing like that. You don't want to go through the tragedy. You don't want to go through the strife. You don't want to go through the mental pain and torture that Marvin Gaye went through as a child and as an adult. And the way that those folks were living back in the day. You can't replicate that. But that's the reason why that sound was so great. When James Brown was singing... James Brown was not singing just to entertain people. James Brown was singing for integration. James Brown was singing for, for equality. James Brown was singing for folks that were going through stuff in the civil rights movement. Same thing with the Four Tops. Same thing with Otis Redding. Same thing with these folks. So you get these folks out here now, in this age, thanks to those folks and many others who don't have to go through that pain and strife at the level that those guys went because of the contributions that they made to the society to make the society where we are right now, even though in terms of race relations, even though in terms of, of intelligence, even though in terms of respectability, we have a long, long, long way to go when we're speaking about minorities, when we're speaking about others. Man, luckily, those guys laid down the path that we wouldn't have to be able to sing with the pain and the strife and the, and the, and the expectations and really the desperation to make it in the world where we're already at. So, man, it was like, those guys could sing. Those guys are good. Look, the person who was singing James Brown, I Feel Good. And, of course, they always want to sing James Brown, I Feel Good, because that's the song that most white folks like. But when you get the guy going out there talking about, I feel good, and I know that I would now. I feel good. And I, know, I mean, it's like, come on. No, 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 no. It's like, come on, man. Come on, James ain't sounding like that. In fact, you're a better singer than James Brown, but you don't have that feeling. You don't have that soul. You don't have, you, you still don't have it. I mean, the man could sing the song, I feel good. I mean, he's saying a lot better than me, but he's up there, I feel good. And I know that I would now. Yeah, it's like, all right, man, come on. <laughs> Let me tell you something. And why would folks want to sing Aretha Franklin? Why do folks from the younger generation of mine, why do they feel that they always have to yell? Look, man, there are very few singers who can yell their way um, to, um, to, to great status, to have a successful career. Patti LaBelle is one, and even she gets on my nerve. But I acknowledge the fact that when Patti gets going and she starting to, starts doing the... It's like, all right, all right. And she starts jumping up and down. She gets the spirit in her, and she's got to keep going on with the... It's like, all right, Patti, I get it, I get it. But she can pull it off. Same thing with Aretha. When Aretha brings up the, that, that, that gospel roots, and when, God, when, when, when Aretha starts, starts yelling is a bad word for it, but when Aretha takes it up another level, that's the spirit coming through, man. That's from being in the church. That's from, that, that's from her background. That's from the environment that she grew up in. That's fine. But I don't want to hear, why do all these new singers, these younger singers than me, when they start singing Aretha, they always want to accentuate by yelling. Man. It's just, 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 just sing the song. Just sing the song. I t want to tell you one thing, and then I'll go on to sports. I told, I, I would say one thing. If someone would have started singing Otis Redding, I would have bum-rushed the stage. I, I, I left when they started singing James Brown, because it was like, all right, y'all are jumping the shark. I, 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 I got through Aretha, and I got through Al Green, and I got through Motown, but when they started doing, I feel good, and I knew that I would, I was like, all right, all right, I'll see y'all later. In fact, me and a couple of black folks were like, all right. <laughs> White folks were sitting there going, yeah, good stuff. Black folks were like, yeah, okay, man, we're out of here. But uh, it's just like, you know, if they would have started singing Otis Redding, uh, uh what you want, baby, I got it. Try a little tenderness. Gotta, gotta. 
you know, I mean, you know. That's why, that's why folks stick to sitting on the dock of the bay. A, because it's the song most known by white folks, even though that's not his best song. Otis Redding, the greatest of them all. These Arms of Mine are great. It, it, it's the greatest song that he ever sang. Try a Little Tenderness is the greatest song that he ever sang. And Respect is the greatest song that he ever made. Respect in These Arms of Mine. Those are the two songs um, that are the greatest of Otis Redding. But, you know, he's Dock of the Bay, this, that, and the other. So it went number one, everything that went into it. So I can understand that, you know. Uh, I can understand that. And the people singing that song better be paying Zelma and... Um, Zelma is Otis's wet, uh, widow. But, yeah, but you better be paying her that, that, that money when you go ahead and sing that, Michael Bolton and others. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, if, if one of those guys, if one of those cats would have got up there and started singing uh, Respect or, you know, Respect or These Arms of Mine. These arms of mine, they're lonely. Oh, they would have been singing it like that. These arms, with a big smile on their face. These arms of mine, they're yearning, yearning to hold you. I would, I, I would have been like, enough, enough, shutting it down. End of the show. Goodbye. Uh-uh, no, come on, fellas. Come on, ladies, let's go. We're going back to my cabin, and I'm going to be teaching you what real soul music is all about. We're, we're, we're changing this up right now, because ain't no way Otis Redding ever be singing like that. So let's go. Show's over, folks. Have a good night. So, But I, I just had a marvelous time, wonderful time, awesome time on that cruise. So I know I spend about too much time speaking about it, but yeah, man, that's the reason why I didn't do my show on um, last week, and that's the reason why... Again, I'm doing this a little bit late. In fact, I'm even watching the uh, Saints and the Jacksonville Jaguars play Sunday Night Football. So this is how late I am getting this out. But I'll be back to a uh, regular schedule because guess what? Tuesday the 25th, guess what? The NBA season starts. My Halle Berry by Layla Roshan, my Monica Bellucci, my Selma Hayek, they come back. My wifey, the loves of my life as far as sports is concerned, is back. I haven't been watching any of the, um, haven't been watching any of the NBA preseason, even though I did watch the Warriors and the LA Lakers play on the ship down at the sports bar uh, down there. Me and my man Brighton from India, Brighton from India, um, we're watching that game. India, where their favorite sports are cricket and field hockey. And I was asking them about, does anybody down there care about the NFL? They're like, no. They, they don't even know that it, ex- that it exists. You know, Patrick Mahomes, who? I mean, Patrick Mahomes, and you get the biggest, most successful, and most well-known football players in this country to go down to India, they, in, India or any Pakistan and on them places. He's like, man, they could walk around. No one would even bother them. No one would even know who they were. So, interesting, interesting. But, yeah, I had an opportunity to uh, watch the um, – Watch the uh, game between the Lakers and the Warriors uh, down there. But uh, I'm not watching the... I know Victor Wimbignana has been doing the thing and all that good stuff. But wait until the season starts. But uh, So next Tuesday, definitely we'll be concentrating more on the um, NFL. But guess what? We still have NFL to be talking about. I know... Oh, boy, I tell you, I got to the... <laughs> I got to the cruise. I got to the pier in Long Beach on Sunday... And I, you know, had to catch the Uber, catch my flight to uh, Santa Ana or Orange County. By the way, Orange County Airport, million times better than LAX. Not even close. 
uh, side note. But um, so by the time I got to the pier and by the time I checked in and got to my room and all that good stuff and had an opportunity to check my phone in terms of the scores are concerned, I saw that Buffalo was losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars over in London. And I was sitting up there talking about, ain't that a bitch? Here I am the week before on my podcast talking about Josh Allen at the MVP, the Buffalo Bills are the best team in the league. And that's the reason why when you're speaking about the best teams and you want to try to differentiate between the Dolphins and the 49ers and the Bills and why I put Buffalo ahead of both those teams and the, and the Eagles and such was because of the quarterback play. And they go out to London and they lose like that. Man, 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 I tell you. But um, what did we learn? So that was week six. So I was kind of like, oh boy, going to have to explain that on my next podcast because I was chirping up the uh, Bills and Josh Allen pretty good. So yeah, egg on my face, yolk on my face. Yeah, have on the clown shoes and the big red nose and jumping around with the elephants and the other clowns in the circus. But um, what did we learn though after week seven in the NFL? I'm starting to think that these teams when you're speaking about now, we're not halfway through, but we're getting close. Because remember when I was speaking about when you're trying to decide which teams are good, which teams are not good, and this, that, and the other, that the first four to six weeks of the season, what you really need to do is just sit back and relax and enjoy because we really can't get ourselves a good a, a good read on which team is going to be legit, which teams are going to be good for the most part. For the most part. We knew the Eagles are going to be good. We knew that the 49ers are going to be good. And consequently, we knew a team like, say, for instance, the Carolina Panthers were going to be bad. But for the majority of the teams, you really can't get a good feel of what those teams are going to be after five, four, five, or six weeks. So now, since we're going into week seven, now we can start putting together a a resume. Now we can start putting together something in terms of, okay, this is what I think this team is all about. I have a better understanding. I have a more clearer view of what this team is going to be about for the rest of the season. Now we're starting to have the building blocks for that. Now we're starting to reach kind of the middle of the story. Now the play is almost halfway over. We've had almost our first... Um, our, our first um, uh, break from the play to go ahead and take a look to kind of step back and decide, okay, which teams are for real, which teams do we think are for real and which are not for real. Not saying that we have that clear understanding, but we're starting to draw that picture. We're starting now to get that idea. We're starting now to solve that mystery. We have more clues to solve the riddle, which teams are good, which teams are average, and which teams are just plain bad. So after seven weeks, we're after six weeks heading now to uh, week seven of the NFL. The, super, the teams that look like Super Bowl contenders, you got to throw in the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I know that they lost to Cleveland. I'll get to that in a sec. But, they, uh, but uh, San Francisco, Miami, Philadelphia, Kansas City, even though I watched Thursday Night Football down with my man Brighton over on the cruise, ugly, ugly, ugly game against Denver, which if you're a, if you're a Kansas City football team fan, should encourage you a little bit more, especially now since um, they got the wide receiver from the Jets, whose name is, I just escaped my mind. Um, but uh, they 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 picked him up from um, from the New York Jets. He played with the, the uh, with the team last year, Kansas City last year. So he should be a, a big help because wide receiver is definitely what they need. McCall uh, Hardman or something like that. But they picked him up. Detroit is starting to show that they're legit contenders. 
Also, the class of the NFC North. I think the Lions now are for real. This aren't. This isn't your brother's Detroit Lions. This isn't your father's Detroit Lions. This isn't your cousin's Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions that we know of right now for the 2023 season look right now to be pretty legit. Cincinnati and is starting to become healthier, a.k.a. Joe Burrow. They're now starting to make that move. Still look for them to be uh, in position to reach their preseason's expectations. But one thing I must say also, through six seasons or six weeks of the NFL, when you take a look so far, when you take a look at the first six weeks of the season, and you want to compare that to the history of this league through the first six weeks, if it continues, if this trend continues through the rest of the season, you know what the 2023 season is going to be about? If I could use one word, mediocrity, parity. There is no super team. I don't see a super team in the making right now. Yeah, I know Kansas City, I guess that you want to say who has been the best team for the last couple of years. You could put down Kansas City without question, but you know, does, does Kansas City look overwhelming to you? Does Kansas City look dominant to you? Does San Francisco look dominant to you? Does Miami look dominant to you? They look good. Don't get me wrong. They look very good. But dominant? Were they going to be one of these teams that people are going to maybe remember? The way that they're playing right now? All of these teams that are expected to vie for the championship to win that Super Bowl. I don't see it. I don't see that super team. I don't see that dominant team. I don't see the NFL version of the Golden State Warriors from a couple of years ago. I don't see the New England Patriots. I don't, I don't see that. So after six weeks in the NFL, I don't, I don't know if this is some kind of record, but for the first time in a long time, after six weeks, there's no more undefeated teams. When you speak about the last two teams, San Francisco and Philadelphia, losing this past uh, Sunday, San Francisco losing to Cleveland, Philadelphia losing to the New York Jets. Now, from that, okay, here we go. Here we go, right, for the short term, for those who want the, um, for those who want to know the answers, for those who are watching the, 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 the television show, the Who Done It, the Murder She Wrote, who want to find out exactly who killed this person halfway through instead of waiting till the end of the season, for those who want to try to take these small amount of clues and then deduce them into saying, ah, it was the butler who did it. And I'm not speaking about Kevin Butler, the field goal kicker for the Chicago Bears back in the day. Ah, this is the guy who did it. Hold on. Hold on. Because we still don't know in terms of what, what we're going to take from San Francisco and Philadelphia. There's a chink in the armor. How do you know? Whoa, slow down. Slow down. I see some trouble brewing with Philadelphia in San Francisco. Whoa, whoa, man. Nothing serious here. Keep moving. It's a small car wreck. It's a little fender bender for the 49ers and the Browns. Nothing to see here. Go away. Shoosh. Scram. Skedaddle. Look, both teams are still elite. Currently the best teams in the NFC. I don't know if they're the best teams in the NFL. That's to be determined. But along with the Detroit Lions, are you, who else are you going to put in there when you speak about San Francisco or Philadelphia in terms of them being for real, in terms of being contenders? Maybe the Dallas Cowboys after their victory over the Los Angeles Chargers, the Chargers who are known to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Time and time again, another opportunity. For some reason, the Chargers always make the opposition play down to their level. For some reason. That team 
watching them on Monday night, shouldn't they, shouldn't they be better than what they are, Brandon Staley? Should, shouldn't they be better? But when you take a look at the teams in the NFC, okay, the Eagles, okay, the 49ers lost. What does it mean? Big picture, what does it mean? Dallas is a threat? I'm sorry, did you see that Sunday night game where Dallas got trounced by San Francisco 42-10? to 10? I, I know, I know, it's still early in the season. I know, maybe down the road things could change. You're right, especially when you speak about the possible injury situation that is becoming the San Francisco 49ers with some of their players. I understand that, de- that January 2024 is going to be maybe a lot different than, say, late September or October of 2023, but still, as of right now, that's all we can go by, as of right now, the Dallas Cowboys aren't on the same level as either the Philadelphia Eagles or the San Francisco 49ers as of this time. I'm still curious about the Detroit Lions, but who else? Who else in the NFC are we going to be speaking about? There ain't nobody in the NFC South. What, you're going to be talking about the New Orleans Saints? What, you're going to be talking about the Tampa Bomb Buccaneers? What, you're going to be talking about the Carolina Police? Who else in the NFC North? You have the Lions running away with that division. Who else is going to be there? The Green Bay Packers? <laughs> the Minnesota Vikings? You would have thought once the season started, but uh, right now they're, they're struggling, and Kirk Cousins is already talking about, no, I'm not going to be waving my no-trade clause. So we, we see some of the mindset of that coming from those up north. Who else? Who else is out there where you can say, yep, mm-hmm, hold on for a second, as of right now, could a team emerge? I'm looking, I don't see it. Moving forward, I don't see it. So yeah, Philadelphia losing to the Jets. San Francisco losing to Cleveland. Ha ha, no more undefeated teams. All right. But guess what? Whether you're speaking about a dominant team, whether you're speaking about the best season in NFL history, whether you're speaking about the worst season, whatever you want to do, Guess what? When everything is all said and done and the Super Bowl winner is crowned, there are no asterisks. There are no yeah buts. There's none of that stuff. If you're a champion, you're a champion. No matter how mediocre the league is or whatever you think. So right now, both San Francisco and Philadelphia are the best teams in the NFC. San Francisco losing to Cleveland with the help of a bad call in the fourth quarter on fourth down gave Cleveland the opportunity for P.J. Walker to go down and win that football game and then the San Francisco 49ers despite the fact of Brock Purdy having a bad game despite the fact that the most valuable players on offense for San Francisco were not at the end of the game when you're speaking about Trent Williams, when you're speaking about Debu Samuels, when you're speaking about Christian McCaffrey, the San Francisco 49ers still had the opportunity to win the game with a very makeable 43-yard field goal attempt that went right, that went a wide right. So look, when you speak about those injuries that I just mentioned, when you're speaking about McCaffrey, when you're speaking about Samuels, when you're speaking about Williams, None of these are serious. None of these are catastrophic. None of these are long-term. In fact, when you take a look at it, um, McCaffrey avoided a long-term injury and has a chance to play Monday night against the Minnesota Vikings. He suffered an oblique rib injury on Sunday, underwent an MRI on Monday. Williams, right ankle, and Samuel, uh, shoulder. They also have a chance to play on, in Monday night's game. And the 49ers are going to decide who can play and who can't play over the course of the next week. So whether they play against Minnesota or whether they don't, this is not something that's going to be long-term. Now, you have to take uh, precaution or you have to 
you have to um, pay attention because McCaffrey has had an is- a history of injury. Same thing with uh, Trent Williams. But still, as long as those guys are good to go, as long as those guys aren't suffering anything that's season-ending, and more importantly, as long as those guys are decently healthy and ready to go in December and January, that's what the 49ers need to have. So a little nick and a little bruise and a little oochie and a little ouchie, hey, right now, cool. If you want to sit them out against the uh, Minnesota Vikings on Monday night, okay. When you take a look at the NFC West, is Seattle really contenders? When you speak about who could give San Francisco a run in that division, and you speak about those other teams, the Los Angeles Rams and such, I don't think so. So I think that the um, 49ers are going to be all right, especially when you speak about that defense. As long as Steve Wilkes, who should be coaching the Carolina Panthers right now for the job that he did after Matt Rule got fired, but, you know, one organization's ignorance is another organization's gain. When you're speaking about Wilkes becoming the defensive coordinator, replacing DeMarco Ryan, who's now coaching the Houston Texans and doing an admirable job so far. He had that defense playing extremely well. When you speak about San Francisco defense being third in points allowed at 87 and fourth in defensive efficiency. Steve Wilkes should also be getting some some looks and some love and some opportunities and some interviews when coaches when coaching opportunities become available. So and along with the 49ers defense, and long as Nick Bosa is doing what he's doing, hey man, the San Francisco 49ers, as of right now, my prognostication, they're going to be just fine for the next four to six to eight weeks. Then we'll revisit the 49ers at that time. The Philadelphia Eagles losing to the New York Jets, 20-14. to 14. Biggest takeaway from the game is the health of Lance Johnson, the right tackle for the Eagles, who is the best right tackle in all of football and one of the best offensive linemen in all of football. He suffered an ankle injury in the first quarter, and without Johnson, Philadelphia scored seven points on their next nine possessions. And when you speak about the mainstay that Johnson has been for that team, and you speak about whether it's Nick Foles, whether whether it's Gardner Minshew, whether it's um, Carson Wentz, the importance of that offense has relied on Kelsey and that offensive line and Trent Johnson being the main contributor, being the main star, being the main player, being the main man for that success to happen. Again, he went out in the first quarter with an injury without Johnson. Again, Philadelphia, seven points on his next mind possessions. And I don't know if this is something that we should have expected, but with or without Lance Johnson... Jalen Hurts is not playing up to the performance that he did last season. Now, could it be unrealistic for him to be playing up to those expectations, especially when there really was no, um, there wasn't really a long history of accomplishments and achievements by Jalen Hurts? I'm not saying that he's having a bad season. I'm saying I'm not saying that he needs to be benched, and I'm not saying that his contract was uh, going to be a mistake. I'm not saying all of that. All I'm saying is right now, he's not playing as well as he did last season when he was arguably the second best player in the NFL behind Patrick Mahomes. Or at least, at the very least, what you want to talk, the totality of all football players, he was in, at the very least top seven or eight. So in the game against the Jets on Sunday, Hurts threw three interceptions, including one to uh, Tony Adams, who set up the Jets' go-ahead score. And now this season, when you're speaking about Hurts, when you're speaking about his efficiency from playing the quarterback position, he now has seven interceptions the year after throwing 
six interceptions all of last season. So, hey, look, the running game, its offensive coordinator is now coaching the uh, Indianapolis Colts. So, look, there's a lot of transition. You were speaking about injuries last season. One of the things that blessed the Philadelphia Eagles was good health. When you're speaking about the 22 starters who played in the Super Bowl were also the 22 starters who played in Week 1. So, the injury bug really didn't hit the Philadelphia Eagles. This now is starting to come back to the meme when you're speaking about Jalen Carter, when you're speaking about others, both on the offense and defensive side for the Eagles who are suffering injuries that are not allowing them to play. When you speak about the injuries in the secondary, when you speak about the injury now to uh, Trent Johnson, uh, Lance Johnson, excuse me, and, and we'll see how that goes. So, yeah, it's um, it'll, it'll be interesting. It, we'll, we'll find out a lot about the Philadelphia Eagles. I still say that they're the best, one of the best teams in the NFL. But over the next eight weeks, we're going to find out exactly how good. Because you take a look at this upcoming set schedule for uh, Philadelphia. If you're, if you're standing up and you're a Philadelphia Eagle fan, you might want to sit down and pay attention to this. This upcoming Sunday, they play Miami. Then they're at my Washington Commanders. Then they're at home against Dallas. Then they have a bye. Then after the bye week, they're at Kansas City. At home to Buffalo, at home to San Francisco, and then at Dallas. So we're going to see exactly what the Philadelphia Eagles are going to be made of. Now, do I expect them to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven? Do I expect them to go seven and zero? Oh? No, <laughs> no, no. There's going to be some losses on the way, and there's going to be some losses to some teams who, when you take a look at the schedule and you say, "Okay, let's prognosticate: win, loss, win, loss, loss, win." There's going to be some teams where you swear they're going to beat, they're, they're going to lose, and there's going to be some toss-ups because in all the games that they play, that these uh, that the Eagles are playing, Miami, Buffalo, Kansas City, San Francisco, Dallas, they're not going to be heavy underdogs. You could say, okay, playing at Dallas, we'll see what Dallas is like at that time. Okay, playing San Francisco, you could make them a slight underdog. Uh, playing at Kansas City, you could make them a slight underdog. But there's no game during the uh, during the stretch of games that's really going to determine how good the Philadelphia Eagles are, there's really no team out there on that schedule during that stretch that you're going to say, oh, yep, 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 that's a team that, uh, you know, I can clearly say that, no. But one of those teams, whether it's the Commanders, maybe it's Dallas, depending upon how both those teams are playing, where you might right now have them penciled in to win, that the Eagles are going to lose. And then we'll see what happens. If the Eagles finish four and a three, hey man, it's cool. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. Um, I'm, 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 I'm not panicking. I'm still going to be confident in the Eagles in terms of what they can do. Now, of course, it's going to be how good do they look? Can um, Jalen Hurts bounce back? What about Johnson and the rest of the injuries and this, that, and the other? There's some other factors, of course. But this is going to be an interesting stretch for the Eagles to kind of determine where they stand as they make that next push toward defending their NFC championship. Wendell's World of Sports, coming back from a cruise and enjoying life like no other. I'm <laughs> talking about what's happening in the world of sports. You know who I'm going to be paying attention to? Because I talked them up so much on the last podcast that I talked about. As far as the Buffalo, all oh, the Buffalo Bills. I would love to meet some Buffalo Bills, right? Oh, the Buffalo Bills, best team in the NFL. Uh, 
Wendell, you know the 49ers and the Eagles are undefeated right now. I don't care. Uh, Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Um, you know the league still has Patrick Mahomes, right? I don't care. Josh Allen. He's the first month of the season. He's the MVP. Blah, 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 blah. I'm interested in the 4-2 and two Buffalo Bills. Um, because I, I, I'm still in the Bills' corner. I still like the Bills. I still like their chances. I still like their, 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 their squad as being elite. But look, through... Through, through two weeks, again, I thought the Bills were the best team in the NFL. They had Josh Allen MVP. But since I made that proclamation, week five, losing to Jacksonville in London, 25-20. to 20, The team had committed 11 penalties for 109 yards. Five of the team penalties were on defense, which gave the Jaguars first down, playing in their home field abroad in London. I wonder if they stopped at 221B Baker Street. If you don't know what 221 Baker Street is in London, educate yourself and learn something. On offense, though, against the Jaguars, Buffalo didn't record a first down until the final 15 seconds of the first quarter. And Josh Allen, my man who's the MVP, according to Wendell, after four or five weeks, was limited to a season-low 23 yards passing in their first quarter. The running game between four different rushers against Jacksonville, the Bills averaged a season-low two yards per carry on in 29 yards total. James Cook, the team's leading rusher this season, was held to negative yards for the first time in his career, going five carries for negative four yards. Now look, this isn't your Urban Myers Jacksonville Jaguars, okay? This isn't your expansion team's Jacksonville Jaguars. They're, they're, they're closer to... The Mark Brunel Jaguars. They're closer to the Tom Coughlin Jaguars than they have been for the Jaguar teams where if you beat them or if you lose to them, all of a sudden something's like, what? They lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars? Jacksonville, with Trevor Lawrence, is no longer that team. So, look, there's no sign for panic. There's no sign for confusion. There's no time for, you know, pulling out your hair if you have any. There's no time for beating up inanimate objects. There's no... There's no there's no reason for that. But, you know, when you speak about, in my perspective, when you're speaking about Buffalo being the best team, blah, 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 it was kind of shocking. Even more shocking than that, though, was the performance that they had against the New York Giants. That's where, I mean, losing to Jacksonville, London, blah, blah, blah. Okay, understood. We're all going to have those games. I mean, hell, last year, Jacksonville beat uh, Buffalo in London also. So maybe it's the London Fog. Maybe it's Big Ben. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is, Ben. I don't know. Maybe one of the Spice Girls showed up wearing a Jacksonville Jaguars uniform and the Bills got distracted. I don't know. But um, it's a situation where, you know, in a situation, look, losing to Jacksonville, no big deal. The way they performed against the New York Giants on Sunday Night Football at home, I don't know if it was jet lag. I don't know what was going on. But that 14-9 Sunday Night win was ugly. U-G-L-Y. Fugly, ugly, Whoosh. If Daniel Jones, look, we don't know if Daniel Jones would have been playing quarterback for New York instead of Tyrod Taylor, the Jets would have had, the, the, the uh, Giants would have won that game with the effort and efficiency that the Bills played with. That was ugly, man. On offense, Josh Allen, yeah, he was 19 of 30 for 169 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Stephon Diggs, 10 passes on 16 targets for 100 yards. James Cook redeemed himself. 71 yards, 14 carries. But it was ugly, man. It was a situation where, man, the, the, the Giants, a team that was left for dead many times, who had some putrid, putrid performances earlier this season, 
had every right to win that game. If it wasn't for, I don't know if it was Tyrod Taylor's fault, the way that uh, head coach Brian Driscoll was yelling and screaming at Tyrod as they were leaving the field at the end of the first half. I guess there was a situation where, look, you have two plays. The one play we don't, the whole thing is that um, we have two plays. One of them was a running play? Huh? What? So I don't know who was to blame for that one, but uh, Coach Dayball was not very happy in that situation. But look, the Giants deserved to uh, win that game. So I'm more, if you want to be concerned, if you want to P-A-N-I-C and not R-E-L-A-X like a D-U-M-B P-E-R-S-O-N because I don't know how to spell dummy, dummy. Um, that, that game against that game against the Giants on Sunday night at home would be something that I would be more intrigued with in terms of, man, what's going on with the Buffalo Bills? So look, they're 4-2. and two. A win is a win. This isn't college football where they're going to be dropping in the polls. A win is a win, whether they won 50 to nothing or the way that they won on Sunday. So they're one game behind the, the, the uh, Miami Dolphins. They don't play them until the last game of the season. But you take a look at this upcoming schedule for Buffalo. They're at New England. Thursday night against Tampa Bay, then at Cincinnati on the 5th of November, and then Denver. So the toughest stretch of the season for the Bills is going to be starting on November 19th. That's when they play the New York Jets at home, then they're at the Philadelphia Eagles, then at Kansas City, then at home to Dallas, and then at the Los Angeles Chargers. They make that trip across country. So I don't know what those things are going to be. I don't know how those teams are, but as of right now, those... Those are some of the benchmarks. Those are some of the things that I'm going to be paying attention to. How they rebound in the next couple of games. They should be blowing out New England or they should be um, getting back on track or they should be more impressive than they have been the last two weeks playing a team like New England, playing a team like Tampa Bay, playing a team like Denver. So at the very least, they should be 3-1. and one. The only maybe hiccup could be playing November 5th against Cincinnati. But they should beat New England. They should beat Tampa Bay on a short week, and they should beat Denver. But again, that toughest stretch of the season. The Jets at Philadelphia, at Kansas City, back home at Dallas, and then at the Los Angeles Chargers. We will see. We will see exactly what's going to be happening to that. Hey, before I um get off the uh, topic of the NFL for a little bit when speaking about this, uh, speaking about this league, you know, I'm thinking... We spoke about the MVPs, right? We spoke about Josh Allen. We spoke about Christian McCaffrey. We spoke about Patrick Mahomes. We spoke about these players. We spoke about, you know, who's going to be winning the MVP. MVP and most important person or most important player in the league can be two different things. And I'm watching the San Francisco 49ers-Cleveland Browns game the majority of the time as I'm skipping through that in the NFL Red Zone on Sunday And I'm thinking to myself, you know, he's not the MVP of the league. He was a couple of years ago in terms of being one of the contenders, but he hasn't been the MVP of the league for a couple of years. But I think outside of Patrick Mahomes, the most important player in the NFL this season could be Deshaun Watson. Cleveland, look, man, Cleveland has an elite defense, good offense, can make them Super Bowl contenders, right? They're ranked number one. When you speak about that defense, and I saw the way that they played against the San Francisco 49ers, and I had the opportunity to see them play week one against the Cincinnati Bengals, that defense, it's elite. 
is right up there with any great defense this season you want to put up there. They're right up there when you speak about the Cleveland Browns. You want to say San Francisco 49ers? I will put down the Cleveland Browns and let's rock. Let's rumble. Let's roll. You want to say Nick Bosa? I'll say Miles Garrett. Let's rock. Let's roll. Let's rumble in that situation. But Cleveland is ranked number one in efficiency. They just shut down arguably the top offense in the league when you're speaking about San Francisco. The 49ers need more evidence. Yeah, they lost Samuel. Yeah, they lost Williams. Yeah, they lost... Uh, McCaffrey. But San Francisco had scored 30 points or more in eight straight games and came in at the highest scoring team in the league, 33.4. And this is the league that includes the Miami Dolphins. And one of the reasons why I'm not I'm, I'm not panicking, one of the reasons why I'm telling you as a 49er fan, if you are a 49er fan, that you shouldn't be panicking is because, yeah, 49ers on offense didn't look good. But guess what? Luckily, they ain't going to be playing the Cleveland Browns every single week. And that's the best defense in the league besides them. So, yeah, San Francisco had been averaging 400 yards of offense. They gained 215 on Sunday. Cleveland's defense is Super Bowl legit. Now, what is Deshaun Watson going to do? Look, Deshaun Watson signed a five-year, $230 million contract. You can sit there and talk about the absurdity for um, the Browns organization, Jimmy Haslam, to sign that contract, to sign him to that contract, and I'm not going to even get into the -the off-the-field and character issues. That's bullshit. That's nonsense. I don't care. You don't care, right? If you're a Cleveland Browns fan, you really don't care, right? in terms of how many people that he sexually assaulted or how many massage therapists that he wanged dangling in front of. Look, all we want, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, is for Deshaun Watson, A, once he gets to Cleveland, now that he's with the Cleveland Browns, now that he's a member of the Cleveland Browns, is to keep your member in your pants, keep your Johnson in your Johnson when you're getting your massages, act like a decent human being, and live up to your five-year $230 million contract. That's all. That's all we want. I don't want no apologies. I don't want revisits. I don't want I'm a good guy. I don't want clips of me walking old ladies across the street and, and rescuing cats from trees. I don't want you adopting dogs who are going to be euthanized. I don't want you marching against uh, civil rights. I don't want you marching against uh, police brutality. I don't want you to do any of that stuff. If you're a fan of the Cleveland Browns, just go out on Sunday and become the player that we thought that we were trading for when only a few years ago you were considered one of the best quarterbacks in the league and one of the best players in the league. That's what we need from Deshaun Watson. And so far in his tenure at the quarterback for the for the um, Cleveland Browns, he has not lived up to that. Now, look, he didn't play for two years, and he came in uh, you know last season he came in after missing 11 games and blah 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 and this that and the other okay I get it I understand it and the last game that he played a couple of weeks ago he looked a lot better this was the best that he's looked since he has since he was um exiled for uh, temporarily exiled from our NFL consciousness so there's hope there's aspiration there's glass half fullness in terms of hey Deshaun Watson Maybe he can't be that quarterback. Deshaun Watson was brought in to be that quarterback. When you're paying somebody that amount of money, your offense should not be constituted on if Nick Chubb, when Nick Chubb goes down, our offense now becomes the pits. All of a sudden now, 
Nick Chubb should not have the same impact responsibility offensively for a football team that Aaron Rodgers had for the New York Jets. In terms of Aaron Rodgers goes down, tears his Achilles, oh my goodness, now the aspirations for the New York Jets to win a Super Bowl are over. That same thing should not apply to the the, um, Cleveland Browns because you brought in a quarterback in Deshaun Watson who should be easily able to overcome that. Now, I know Nick Chubb is one of the best running backs in the game. I know all that stuff. But when you are Deshaun Watson and you're being paid that amount of money, you should be able to overcome that. He shall overcome. That's what Deshaun Watson should be doing. Now, we don't know what his situation is going to be because... This shoulder injury that no one knows about. He's taking it day by day, right? Aren't we all? Missing in action after the last two games. His status remains uncertain for the Browns' upcoming trip to Indianapolis to face the Colts. In fact, on um, Wednesday, yesterday, Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski told reporters that he's making progress but remains day-to-day. So he's telling us something. He's telling us something which has a whole bunch of nothing in it. He's serving us a burger, which has nothing in it. So Watson told reporters on Wednesday, this is my first time dealing with a rotator cuff, so I'm just trying to get as comfortable as I possibly can to go out there and perform at the level I know I can. Uh, If I can't, then then we've just got to continue to take it day by day, day to day. I'm not going to put the team in jeopardy if I can't do certain things that are going to allow us to be handicapped in certain situations so that's the reason why I haven't been able to step on the field now look I don't know Deshaun Watson's injury I don't know his pain threshold I'm not going to be sitting there talking about hey man you should be able to gut it out and all this kind of nonsense take a look at Brett Favre and all this kind of bullshit I I, look if he can't do it and if he's not going to be Deshaun Watson if he's not going to be able to help his team in fact if his injury is so bad that the team has a greater chance to win with Dorian Thompson or PJ Walker then by all means you you need to sit out by all means you need to play it's, it's just a situation where one of the mysteries about it is is that he finished the game a couple of weeks ago and then we find out that he's not playing. So we didn't have any evidence. There wasn't a bodacious hit. There wasn't a hellacious hit. There wasn't something where Deshaun Watson, the last game that he played, was on the was was going over to the tent. There was no evidence that we saw us outside looking in that would make us say, wow, Deshaun Watson, he might have to miss some games. Oh my goodness, did you see that hit? Oh my goodness, did you see how he landed? Oh my goodness, did you see how he's walking off the field? Oh my goodness, did you see that look of pain on his face? Oh my goodness, this might be something where we didn't see any of that. So when we're speaking about what's going on with Deshaun Watson, rotator cuff, and it's day by day, well, are you going to play? I don't know. Monday, I don't think I can. Tuesday, maybe. Wednesday, maybe. Thursday, I don't know. Friday, well, I mean, what's what the deal here? Yay or nay moving forward. So that's one of the, if you're Cleveland Browns fans, that might be leading to some of the consternation and maybe some of the eyebrow raising to say, hey, man, you know, you got yourself an opportunity to, A, live up to that contract. You haven't been living up to it right now. B, kind of shake some of the nonsense, some of the bullshit that you have put on yourself with your off-the-field activities. Because as we know in the NFL, just like life, that no matter what your transgression, no matter what your faults, no matter what your foibles, no matter what your uh, miscomings and misgivings and misdeeds have been, if you can't perform and make us happy, then almost all is forgiven. So... 
the Deshaun Watson is kind of delaying that deal. I've always said for Deshaun Watson to to uh, rehabilitate his image from what went down in in Houston when he was the quarterback and what he was being accused of, it's not about him, you know, having a come to Jesus moment. It's not about him being reborn. It's not about him going on Oprah or any of these other shows. It's not about him going on a news channel and talking about this. It's not about him helping old ladies across the street. It's not about him solving the cure for cancer and AIDS and and H and and and, um, and COVID nineteen. It's not about him um, punishing Hamas for what they did to Israel. It's none of that stuff. It's none of that stuff. It's all about can you perform on the field? You could be a sleazeball. You could be a scumbag. You could be a piece of shit off the field. As long as you're performing on the field, most of the time we will forgive you or we will look the other way. And for Cleveland Brown football fan, I'm quite sure if Deshaun Watson can perform at a level to where he can lead this offense and make it come close. 65, 70% of what the defense is in terms of potency. Believe me, Deshaun Watson can sexually harass any any doggone physical therapist that he wants. And Cleveland Browns fans and other immoral people will sit there and go, yeah, but did you see what he did against the Jets? He was awesome. He threw four touchdown passes. Good God almighty. Eat that, Robert Sala, the guy who said we've made all quarterbacks so far that we played look bad. Eat that. Yeah. Sexually assault that, Sala. So that's the uh, that's the deal with that. All right. Hey, man, when I get back from my boogie break, um, there's a legendary coach who's in trouble. Who's in trouble. Is this going to be the last season for a guy who's only 27 years away, 27 wins away from one of the greatest records in the history of sports? Will he come up short? What is basically going on in New England in the great Bill Belichick? I will be talking about that and other things. And also, there's a quarterback who's trying to get back on the field this season. And it's like, can we disrespect the current quarterback even more? Wow. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Aretha, Aretha, let me hear what you got. Let me hear what you're putting down. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. You see how that you, you, you see how that goes? These folks on the Carnival Cruises. Did you, did you see how Aretha is singing right there? Now that's a remix from uh, a Most Def joint uh, back in the day. 
But um, but uh, do you see now Aretha is singing that? Now you might want to um, you might want to get the original. You might want to hear Aretha with the original. No yelling, no screaming, no sanctifiedness, no Holy Spiritness. You don't need to. You don't need to go that through every level. There should be. I mean, look, Mary J and a couple of others. There, there's there's some artists out there. Nobody should be able to sing Anita. Anita should be like, look, man, if you want to be singing my songs, no bueno, not happening. Same thing. I mean, I don't. Maybe Bobby Brown could sit there and be like, hey, man, no one sing, no one sings um, Whitney Houston songs, please, because just in her memory, don't do that. There, there should be a law stating that there's some artists that you don't, you don't, you don't try to what sing, you don't try to replicate, you don't, you just don't do. You leave them songs alone. Nobody, hardly anybody. There's few people walking this earth that should be allowed. To sing Aretha Franklin. Allowed to sing the songs of Anita Baker. Allowed to sing the songs of Maria Callas. Allowed to sing the songs of an Otis Redding. Ooh, man, don't. Mm, 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 mm. Like I said, them boys and gals, lucky. Don't you ever, ever catch me on one of these cruises. Taking in your shows, and you come up there talking about, oh, she may be weary. These young girls get weary wearing that same uh, miniskirt dress, yeah. But when she gets weary, hey, you can try a little tenderness. Like, that baseball bat will come out on that. I'll come on that on that stage. Baseball bat is swinging, skulls are cracking. <laughs> Those world of sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. Um, Bill Belichick, man. Man, is it time to start having the conversation about Belichick's tenure as coach of the New England Patriots being over? Because outside of the possibility of Chicago, Carolina, and Denver, New England might be the worst team in the league. Now, I know I named about five teams there, but if New England played Denver or if New England played Chicago, The only reason why I would still say that Carolina is the worst team and would still lose to New England is because of the rookie quarterback and the phenomenal record that Belichick has against going up against first-year quarterbacks or rookie quarterbacks. And New England's defense is still good enough, potent enough, that they would cause problems for Bryce Young. But uh, Denver, Chicago, the only possible other teams that I could throw in there that are worse than um, New England— Depending upon where they play, as of right now, it would be a pick game, right? Now, maybe because Justin Fields is going to be out, maybe, again, you would pick New England. But the bottom line is this. New England is horrid. New England has been bad. New England has been especially bad um, over the last three games. It's the worst stretch that New England has been in, in since 1972. They were even worse. This, this stretch has been even worse than the year that Joe Cap was playing for the um, Buffalo, for the uh, New England Patriots. And um, he was an albatross, and he was he was washed up, and he was done. And that was one of the worst seasons in Patriots history. I didn't even think that they were the Boston Patriots back then, back in the 1970-71 season. But the Patriots just wrapped up its worst three-game stretch since 1972, being outscored by 73 total points. They lost to Dallas 38-3. They lost to New Orleans 34-0. And then this past weekend up here in Vegas they lost to the Raiders 21-17 
Rangers players up there being sore about Belichick didn't come over to say hi to him. Hey, man, you know, this is a guy who's like, fuck y'all, I'm up here fighting for my life, man. I'm trying to get to George Hallis' record, and I got a quarterback who can't play, an offensive line that stinks, no offensive weapons whatsoever, and for the most part, I'm responsible for it because of, of the de facto GM that I am. I'm the one who put this direct together. So, look, the next two games for the Patriots are against the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills. So right now they're one in five. They could very easily be one in seven. Yikes. And on offense, they're the only team in the NFL not to score more than 20 points in the game this season. They don't have any weapons whatsoever. Now, now, now look, Mac Jones has regressed. I don't know what this says because remember – the situation, Mac Jones, three years in the NFL. He came in his rookie year. Oh, man, Mac Jones, he's showing some promise. He's showing this, that, and the other. We're, 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 still not, we're still not convinced that he's that franchise quarterback that we've been looking for, but he looks pretty good. He looks a lot better. When you speak about some of the other quarterbacks in their first year, um, you know, he seems to be well ahead of, Lance, of Trey Lance. He seems to be well ahead of Justin Fields. He seems to be well ahead of Zach Wilson, and he seems to be well ahead of Trevor Lawrence, right? But wasn't that the narrative? Wasn't that the uh, thought process wasn't that the song that people were singing who know the game who think the game who cover the game who get paid big money to know the game isn't that what they were saying kind of halfway a little bit halfway through mac jones's rookie year oh man this guy's got moxie this guy's got smart this guy's accuracy is off the hook blah 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 right okay so next season um mcdaniels takes the job with the raiders they come in, Matt Patricia, failure as a head coach with the Detroit Lions. He comes in, and he's the offensive coordinator or co-offensive co- uh, coordinator. And Mac Jones regresses from the elevation that he was ascending to uh, from his rookie season. Now they go out and they get Bill O'Brien, who was the offensive coordinator from Alabama. Um when he was uh, when he was the offensive coordinator in Alabama with Nick Saban, right, and, and that was supposed to be the that was supposed to be the pandemia, right? That was supposed to be the cure for what was illing and chilling Matt Jones, right? Okay, now we got Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien, you saw what he did with Houston. You saw what he did with Deshaun Watson. You saw in college what he did with Mac Jones and what he did with the Tua Tonga Bailoa and what he did with Bryce Young and blah blah blah. And this guy should get all this kind of nonsense, right? So, so far, I don't know who really put the blame on because Mac Jones not only has not progressed, he's regressed. And I don't know when this free fall of Mac Jones' NFL starting career with the New England Patriots is going to stop. Now there's wide clamor. Now there's wide amount of palaver conversations where it's kind of like, why is this guy still the quarterback of this team? Why is Mac Jones still the starting quarterback of this team? And it's very simple. Because you want to put in Bailey Zappi? That's your answer? So exactly what are we going to do here? If the New England Patriots fall to 1-7, Mac Jones doesn't get any better. Maybe this is a situation where, look, man, we're not going to extend them. We're going to try to look for another quarterback. When, when do we start playing the, hey, maybe we can be in the Shador Sanders, um, Caleb Williams, Drake May sweepstakes? Maybe if we're just bottoming, bottoming out like this, if the New England Patriots, if the bottom completely falls out of the tub, right? If all the air comes out of the tire, and the tire is not only flat and it's shredded, and New England has a record of, mm, a record under Bill Belichick of 3-14, and 4-13, four and, four and, and they're 
like the number three or number four pick, right? What would stop them from taking a strong look at Shador Sanders or Drake May? All right, depending upon what the Carolina Panthers, depending upon where the Carolina Panthers fall, depending upon what the Chicago Bears do in their situation at quarterback, right? So if the New England Patriots are in that position, should the New England Patriots well, even be in that position? If you don't think that Mac Jones is the guy, then shouldn't you as a Patriots fan want to be like, look, man, we're 1-5. We ain't better than Buffalo. We ain't better than Miami. We ain't better than Kansas City. I mean, fuck it. We ain't going to make the playoffs. If we don't have a chance to well, win the Super Bowl, fuck it. Let's just go for broke. Let's just go ahead and lose as many games as possible so we can get ourselves a franchise quarterback because as of right now, we don't have one. Because <laughs> Mac Jones is proving that he ain't one. So let's just go out and just bottom out. What would that mean, though, for Bill Belichick? Now, look, I'm, uh, Bill Belichick's legacy is intact, okay? It's intact. So whether he goes 1-16 or whatever, this is not going to be... This is not going to be a blemish, or this is not going to be a, a uh, or some type of uh, discernible mark for Bill Belichick's coaching career, right? I mean, the great Bob Wilkinson. I mean, how was his, how was his tenure as the coach of the St. Louis Cardinals, right? Or yeah, the St. Louis Cardinals when they were before they went to Arizona, right? I mean, how was Lou Holtz a very good college coach? How was his stint with the New York Jets? How was Nick Saban, Nick Saban's stint uh, tenure with the both with the um, Miami Dolphins, right? I mean, the overall resume of Bill Belichick greatly succeeds one bad season on his last legs as a coach at 71 years old with a team that is horrid. Now, again, it's a situation where he put this team together. He can't blame this on the GM. He can't blame this on the owner. I mean, as Bill Belichick said, or excuse me, as as his mentor, Bill Parcell said, one of his mentors, Bill Parcell said, hey, if they're going to want you to cook the food, at least they should allow you to buy the groceries. Well, Bill Belichick was the man who bought the groceries. All right? Bill Belichick was the man who brought the, brought the groceries. When it came to putting this meal together, he is the Iron Chef. He is the Bobby Flay. He is the uh, Jeffrey Segarian, right? There is, no, there is nobody saying, there's no one to blame for the mess that has become the New England Patriots, except for the man who's in charge of putting the program together, which is Bill Belichick. So it's a situation where it can be, well, maybe Bill Belichick, the the chef, maybe Bill Belichick, the buyer of the groceries, disappointed and let down Bill Belichick, the chef, which means that maybe we should allow someone else to choose the groceries for Bill Belichick to cook the meal. Does Bill Belichick really want to do that? Does Bill Belichick want to be part of a rebuilding program? How much the how much cachet, how much real estate should the New England Patriots give in deciding whether we should keep Bill Belichick or not based on what he's done for that that organization? Along with Tom Brady, along with others, Bill Belichick was the main force. Bill Belichick was the star. Bill Belichick was the reason. Bill Belichick is the person who made the New England Patriots the team possibly of all times because there was no history of success before Bill Belichick came to New England. Same thing when Michael Jordan came to the Chicago Bulls. There was nothing to, as far as the Bulls' history, to say that, oh, right, we've got this winning tradition. We've got this winning culture. So MJ was just adding on to it. 
No, the Bulls were trash. Outside of some some some, some playoff runs in the mid seventies with Bob Love and those guys, the Bulls organization was trash in terms of successfully winning. The same thing with the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots were trash, but they weren't close to what we know a generate as uh, a generation that knows the New England Patriots. There's a generation of New England fans, there's a generation of sports fans who don't know anything about the New England Patriots before Bill Belichick got there, implemented the offense, the defense, the culture, selected Tom Brady in the sixth round, had the nerve, had the gall, had the bones, had the the, the, the balls to play Tom Brady when Drew Brees was a cultural icon in that area for the most part, had the had the fortitude, had the uh, conviction to go ahead and do that, launching one of the greatest players in NFL's history's career, maybe in sports. That's all Bill Belichick. So how much of that should we take into account, Robert Kraft and the others should take into account, if this season falls off the rails? Again, you're speaking about a man who was 71 years old who has been coaching over 20 years. How much should we say, man... You know, wouldn't it be great for basically knowing that we had the coach, the all-time winningest coach, be a part of our program, be a part of our um, franchise? Because look, when you think about Don Shula, the all-time winningest coach in the NFL, you think of him as what? The coach of the Miami Dolphins. You don't talk too much about the success that he had with the Baltimore Colts. That's where he got things moving and grooving bringing them to a Super Bowl in um, Super Bowl three in 1969, having one of the best seasons in NFL history up to that point. Going into that game against the New York Jets, Don Shula with Johnny Unitas and, and those guys were considered one of the best teams, if not the best team in NFL history before they were shocked by the New York Jets in um, Super Bowl three. Joe Namath's I guarantee game. So Don Shula already had that resume being built. Don Shula already had that foundation being built in Baltimore. But most people, especially those of a younger generation, only know him as the coach of the Miami Dolphins. Same thing with Bill Belichick, right? Bill Belichick, not only was the defensive coordinator for the New York Giants, then he got the job as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns, where he was there for four or five seasons. No one's going to remember that. No one's going to know that. No one's going to care about that. Bill Belichick is synonymous. He's connected to being the head coach of the New England Patriots. So if Bill Belichick can go ahead and become the all-time winningest head coach in NFL history, one of the greatest records, not only in the league's history, but in sports history, and have that mental, and have that moniker be with the New England Patriots, you don't think Robert Kraft when he goes to those massage therap- when he goes to those massage parlors in uh, Florida and gets the rub down from the uh, twenty three good looking Asian women, he ain't going to be uh, bragging about that. Of course he is. Of course that would be great. Of course that would be fantastic. But it's going to be a situation where it's kind of like, look, man, is Bill Belichick? Are we? Are are we ready for this? 27, 29, 27 games away from being the all time winningest coach. I mean, the way Belichick is going right now. What are we looking at? Four or five seasons? When he's going to be 73, 74, 75? Is Bill Belichick up for that? Are we up for that? 
I mean, are we going to are we going to play this out? Are we going to stunt our growth as an organization to make sure that Bill Belichick can go ahead and get that all-time winningest uh, winningest coach record? How much does Bill Belichick want that? All of these things are going to go into play because I don't see it, man. I mean, we're speaking about 27 games away. I mean, if you speak about him going 5-12 and 12 on average, 6-11, and 11, I mean, we're talking about, what, four or five years. And again, the man is already 71 years old. And here's the thing when we're speaking about what should the Patriots do. Here's one thing that we, we've kind of learned. Just like great players, great coaches in any sport are normally the last ones to figure out that it's time to go, right? I mean, we take a look at Willie Mays stumbling in center field when he was playing with the New York Mets. We take a look at Babe Ruth being duped by the Boston Braves to go to their squad to leave the New York Yankees when all the Braves wanted him to do was to uh, be a, uh, be something for the turnstiles, right? We, we've seen my man Patrick Ewing play his final season for the Seattle Supersonics, right? We've seen Akeem, Akeem Olajuwon play for the Toronto Raptors at the end of his career. We saw Michael Jordan come back, not once, but twice, but the second time played for the Washington Wizards in that debacle um, that ensued with him playing uh, for that franchise. So we've seen players go out like that. We've seen how many boxers? Sugar Ray Leonard, Sugar Ray Robinson, Muhammad Ali, Larry Holmes, Mike Tyson. We, we, we've seen the scenario where they're the last ones. Joe Lewis getting knocked out of the ring by Rocky Marciano. We've seen, we have seen, there's documented evidence of athletes not knowing when to say it's over and looking bad for it. Same thing with coaches, right? I mean, you take a look at uh, let's take a look at the uh, coaches in the NFL. The Don Shula, Don Shula had to be pushed out by Wayne Heisinger and uh, and um, and Jerry Jones, uh, Jerry, excuse me, uh, um, Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson was on Fox the whole season, um, um, berating the Miami Dolphins when Shula was in his last year because he wanted that job. So Don Shula had to be pushed out. Tom Landry had to be pushed out by. Jerry Jones, and Jerry Jones became villain number one for doing so. And guess who replaced Tom Landry? Jimmy Johnson. George Hallis, the godfather, the father of the NFL. He had to be pushed out, and he owned a team when he was coaching. So there's plenty, plenty, plenty of examples of saying, hey, man, when it comes to uh, knowing when to say when, coaches are just as bad as not knowing it to players. So Belichick is 71 years old, 27 victories away. Is Robert Kraft going to have to do the, hey, look, Bill, look, man, um, it's been real, it's been fantastic, but it's time to go. And this ain't just based on one season. Look, and we can sit there and talk about Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Look, Tom Brady saw the sinking ship. Tom Brady saw that iceberg uh, up, up ahead. So he said, life raft, get me out of here. And Tom Brady was not going to be the one to steer that ship away from the, the iceberg. I'm talking about the Titanic, y'all. So, yeah, this isn't a situation where Tom Brady left and all of a sudden New England fell to pieces because Tom Brady was no longer the quarterback. No, this was going to be happening whether Tom Brady was going to be the quarterback or not. So this wasn't a situation where Bill Belichick was riding the coattails, shall we say, of 
Tom Brady all these years. Tom Brady knew the deal, and he said, get me on out of here. So, yeah, interesting. Real quickly before I uh, go ahead and get to a break, Aaron Rodgers coming back before the end of the season and makes no sense on any level, level whatsoever. He said on Tuesday that he's obviously ahead of schedule from Achilles surgery, but cautioned that he still has many hurdles to clear before he'll be back on the field. What Rodgers said on his weekly spot on the Pat McAfee show, he said it makes absolutely no sense to have a specific timetable for return, but he wants to play again this season before that can happen. He said he must meet specific markers specific markers in his recovery, followed by practicing and everybody signing off on it. Aaron, please, no, 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 no. And Jet fans, no, 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 no. You don't want that. You don't want that. You don't want that. And what does it mean, really, for the Jets? And what does it mean for Zach Wilson? If I'm Zach Wilson, I'm like, wait a minute. Hold on for a second. Now, look, I don't have the responsibilities of a Patrick Mahomes. I don't have the responsibilities of a Josh Allen. I don't have the responsibilities of a Jalen Hurts. Okay? I, if, if we're in a position to be in the playoffs, probably it's not going to be mainly because of me. I get that. I understand that. But damn, if we do get into the playoffs, aren't I going to have some type of role in that? Shouldn't you be giving me my flowers? Shouldn't you be giving me my high five? Shouldn't you be giving me my uh, my dap? Shouldn't you be giving me my respect? As my man Mr. McMahon used to, sh- used to say, show me some respect, damn it. Shouldn't you be doing that for Zach Wilson? So if Zach Wilson has the Jets in a position to get into the playoffs by week 15, 16, which many people are prognosticating that could be the return for Aaron Rodgers, you're going to have a guy who 14 weeks ago or 15 weeks ago, four months ago, tore his Achilles and come out there and be like, oh yeah, here we go. Now we're on, now we're going to be getting to go. So a guy who hadn't picked up a football in terms of playing in a and a football game in four months coming off of Achilles surgery is going to be a better answer than Zach Wilson? That's going to be the answer? That dream come true? That's what Jet fans are wanting? So Jet fans think that Zach Wilson is so poor, Zach Wilson is so undesirable, Zach Wilson is so inefficient that a guy that had Achilles surgery four months before is going to come back and be the savior? Man, if I'm Zach Wilson, you know what? You know what, fellas? You know, kiss my ass and call me Willie Glass. Famous basketball player for the St. John's Redmond back in the day. Kiss my ass. The hell with this. No. No. Aaron Rodgers. I know Aaron Rodgers wants to play badly for the New York Jets. No. 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 I can only visualize Jerry Rice coming back for the 49ers less than a year after he tore his ACL. And then blowing out his knee or doing something with his kneecap when he caught a touchdown pass against the Detroit Lions on Monday Night Football. No. No. If the Jets are in playoff position, Aaron Rodgers is not going to be their answer to get them over the top. All right? That ain't the answer. So, no. That that nonsense, it's, it's amazing to me that they could diss Zach Wilson like that. Again, I'm not saying Zach Wilson is Trevor Lawrence. I'm not saying Zach Wilson is, you know someone who should be counted on, but damn. If the Jets are going to be in that position, I mean, how, unless the, unless the New York Jets, you know, morph into the 2001 Baltimore Ravens, the 1985 Chicago Bears, the New York Giants defense from the 1980s, the Purple People Eaters, the Steel Curtain, and the Fearsome Foursome, all wrapped into one, 
I don't see how that defense can be great enough, can be strong enough, could be dominant enough, could be good enough to uh, have it to where Aaron Rodgers coming off an Achilles tear four months ago is going to be the answer for the Jets getting over the hump and becoming Super Bowl contenders. Especially when you speak about the Jets, great defense, but uh, I'll take Cleveland's. Leonard Williams, great defensive player for the Jets. I'll take Miles Garrett. So, interesting, interesting. So, yeah, man, when we come back, I got a boogie here. I'm going to go ahead and talk about the last segment of the program from college football. Mention the fact that uh, mention the fact that um, the NBA is coming back. So, you know, I'm going to be talking about those things. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. <laughs> You don't know what I know, what the Lord had done for me. You don't know what I know, what the Lord had done for me. That is a Sam and Dave number. You don't know what I know, what that woman has done for me. Isaac Hayes and David Porter got that song from the gospel song. You don't know what I know. You don't know like I know what the Lord has done for me. So Isaac Hayes was talking about, well, if the Lord can make you feel that good, why can't a woman? So you don't know what I know, what the woman has done for me. So there you go. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Last segment of the program. Going to run through it real quick because A, really didn't watch too much college football. And um, I've been into it a little bit too deep. So I want to keep this under wraps. So let's just go ahead and talk about the new top 15 in college football give you my thoughts and opinions about it number one is georgia playing with their food a little bit against vanderbilt but came back but they didn't come back they were down seven nothing but big deal but uh, they did what they needed to do michigan continuing to dominate despite not playing anybody they're number two ohio state big game coming up this weekend against penn state they're ranked number three florida state doing what they need to do beating the syracuse dino bravers uh they're number four washington Moved up to number five, the game of the week last week against Oregon, winning 36-33. to They're number five, Oklahoma, uh, number six, Penn State, number seven, Texas, number eight. I was on vacation when Oklahoma and Texas were uh, doing their thing, an excellent Red River rivalry um, that, was, um, that was there. Number nine, Oregon. They fell to uh, Washington, as I mentioned before, because I guess in the words of Dan Lemming, um, Washington, they weren't playing for clicks, man. They weren't playing for clicks. They were playing for victories. Now, what uniform do we have on today? That that Bo Nix uh, promotion for being in the Heisman Trophy? Because even though we say we don't play for clicks, we sure act like we play for clicks. We sure act like we play, we play for attention. I'll be getting to Colorado in just a second. But basically, 
I'm just going to lampoon Dan Lemming every time I get an opportunity with that. We They play for clicks. We play for victories. There's a big difference, Ben. Okay, well, great. Guess who's not going to be playing for the uh, national championship? Uh, Oregon. I shouldn't say that. We still got some time. But um, they dropped to number nine, number 10, North Carolina, number 11, Alabama, number 12, Oregon State, number 13, Old Miss, number 14, Utah, number 15, Notre Dame. As I mentioned before, the game of this past week, the game of the week, Washington over Oregon, 36-33. Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, put on a performance that was Heisman Trophy worthy. Um, Oregon losing to Stanford. Excuse me. Uh, let's go to Colorado. Losing to Stanford, 46-43, after leading 29-0 at the half. That's what I really want to get into because I did see that game. I was down. I was watching that game on the ship, and uh, on my cruise ship. And I was like, I want to go ahead and get some more food because I know the while the the pizza place doesn't close close until 4 a.m. You know, I'm down here on the second floor while most of the food is being on the ninth floor, which is the Lido deck. But I know that if I get up from my spot, then I'm probably going to lose my spot. So I still want to go ahead and watch this game. So um, I'm going to sit here, talk to my man Brighton, watch the game, converse, enjoy myself, and then. As I was watching Colorado get up to a 29-0 lead, I'll say, I said, well, you know what? I'll go ahead midway early on in the third quarter, go ahead and get my, um, get my BLT sandwich along with my, uh, along with my Philly cheesesteak and fries, uh, get my soda and then retire to my balcony or maybe go watch another show because obviously this game is over between Colorado and Stanford. I just want to, you know, just check in a couple of minutes in the third quarter. Well, how wrong was I? And then I knew at the game, which started at 8 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, as it got to be 11.30, I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me, right? As Colorado was um, squandering, choking away their victory. So Colorado scored touchdowns on his first four possessions, outgained the Cardinals 324 to 114 in the first half. Well, in the second half, Stanford scored on six straight possessions and gained 408 yards of total offense. It was the biggest blown lead in Colorado football history and the largest lead uh, since November 6, 2010, when they were leading Kansas City or Kansas 28 to 3 before losing 52 to 45. I, I, I have never seen a team melt down like Colorado did. It was it was train wreck. It was auto wreck. It was disaster. I can't take my eyes off it. It was Hindenburg going down amazed at the collapse. And you could see it. You didn't even have to be, you didn't have to watch sports at all to see Colorado choking. The guy for Stanford, the guy who caught like 25 passes for 744 yards in the second half, um, number 13 for Stanford, the guy from Canada. The same play, all every single play. Slant in every single time. And the guy was wide open. And it's like, coach, look, man, I'm no defensive coordinator. So I don't know, but they're, they're, they're running the same play every single time. Basically, the guy's going out there saying, I'm going to run a slant five yards in. And Colorado could do nothing about it. You didn't think of going to cover three? You didn't think of doing something else? I don't know. Maybe you did. I don't know. But it was all inspiring how Stanford was just scoring. And you got the impression because they scored on, what, six straight possessions, right? They scored on, like, eight of nine possessions if you count overtime. You, you got to the point where it was kind of like, look, they're going to score every time. 
because Colorado was doing nothing. Nothing. I don't know who 23 for Colorado was, the cornerback, but that man should not have been playing. He couldn't guard anybody. He couldn't cover anybody. Then he's got the nerve to be yelling at Sanders as on the bench, as he was going back to the bench, or as he was sitting back on the bench. Man, you're, I, if, if I'm 23, the only reason why I would be yelling at Deion Sanders or Coach Prime or whatever you want to call him, the only reason why I would be yelling at him is because why are you pulling me back out here? I can't cover anybody. I got my family and friends watching at home. I got females who I want to have sex with, who I have a real chance to have sex with. They are watching this game, and I'm getting emasculated, and you're doing nothing about it. You're keeping me out there. Take me out, coach. Please. Please, for heaven's sake, this is, this is, this is almost child abuse in terms of why are you leaving me out there? My parents are watching this. That's the only reason why he should have been yelling. I have never seen a team so on defense in the second half, so dysfunctional as Colorado was on defense. That was atrocious. That was horrible. That was awe-inspiring in its ineptitude and failure in its unraveling. And I don't know how much shine that that left Colorado after that uh, loss, but man, it'll be interesting to see how they rebound from that because guess what? The gauntlet of the, 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 the gauntlet of their schedule now commences after this bye week. And I, I just don't know. They can't cover anybody. On defense, they can't cover anybody. Stanford was a one-win team. And they beat Hawaii. I saw them play Oregon. And it was like men against boys. They couldn't do nothing against Oregon. And now they go up against Colorado. Could you imagine? Colorado was actually ranked in the top 20 earlier this year. How foolhardy is that? How, fool, how foolish is that? Maybe they were trying to bait folks. Maybe it was a situation where, you know, in, the, in this world, we always love to uh, build somebody up so we can tear them down, right? Maybe this, was, maybe this was a situation where the voters and stuff really don't like Coach Prime. So here's what we'll do. We'll raise them up much further than they deserve which will get everybody angry, which will get everybody licking their chops to when they get destroyed. And then when they get destroyed, we can talk about how sorry they are. Maybe that was the situation, but watching that game, it's like, how could anybody, anybody, at any point of the season, have Colorado anywhere near the top 25? Did anybody see that defense? So I'm wondering from the black community standpoints, how, how quickly now are we going to jump off Coach Prime? How, how quickly are we going to leave that story alone, right? Because after that game, all, like, like, like Coach Sanders said to his team after halftime or after the game, don't go on social media. All this positivity that you've been receiving is going to flip. And don't go on social media, social media trying to defend yourself because all of it's going to be true. So you heard that from Coach Sanders yourself. So what are black folks going to do now who have been sitting there talking about Coach Sanders, Coach Sanders, Colorado, Colorado, Coach Sanders, right? And any hint of, well, you know, Colorado ain't that good. Coming from folks, oh, man, 
Oh, racism. Race. Oh, man. Oh, I can't believe that bullshit. Oh, why? Because, oh, why? Because Colorado? Oh, because because Coach Sanders is black? Because he's got a black coach? Oh, because why? Because the door is a black man? Oh, why? Because he's got that swag? He's like the John Thompson and all this kind of nonsense? Y'all can't be saying that shit now, man. Y'all can't be saying that shit. I've been trying to tell y'all. Calm down on your enthusiasm with Coach Prime this season. Dion is going to get it done if he sticks around. I think he's going to turn that program around if he sticks around. If he's there three, four, five, six years, he's going to turn that program around. I believe that wholeheartedly. But he ain't getting it done this season. He wasn't going to get it done this season. He was never going to get it done this season. So no, <laughs> stop it. Stop with the, no, 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 no. Don't go there. Don't go there. Keep, keep, keep that, keep that argument for where it needs to be. Because I'm sorry, even those who don't like Coach Prime because they don't like black folks, um, yeah, they got a point to where they can clown them in that team because that was, um, that was bad. That was real bad. So let me see some games this weekend. I'm going to be watching Penn State at Ohio State. UFC at Oklahoma, afternoon games. We got Washington State at Oregon. We've got Tennessee at Alabama. Then the afternoon game, we got Utah at USC. Speaking about frauds, speaking about jokes, speaking about just like pretenders, USC, come on, man, come on. And the thing is, losing to Notre Dame like they did, 48 to 20, it wasn't like your typical, like when you thought about USC finally losing and you knew it was coming. The way that they were playing defense, you knew it was coming, right? But you thought it would be a situation where they were going to get just, you know, a, a team was going to run for 400 yards, pass for 300 yards, and score 85 points, right? Some nonsense like that. Because we all talked about how porous, how inept, how feeble, how um, bad the defense was for USC when you're speaking about a team that's vying for winning a championship. We, we, we talked about how bad that defense was. Well, it really wasn't so much the defense that cost USC this victory. It was Caleb Williams throwing three. What the hell are you doing? What the hell are you throwing? Why are you, look, why are you looking like Brett Favre trying to uh, make these passes type interceptions in the, um, in the first half? Now, I was on the plane for most of the game watching that, watch, while that game was going on. But, yeah, USC fraudulent, USC pretenders, and we knew that was coming. I want to end very quickly with the James Harden situation in the NBA, my Halle Berry, my Layla Rochon, my Monica Bellucci, the love of my life, this, when you're speaking about sports, the NBA, James Harden situation, didn't show up for practice for the 76ers. He has been seeking a trade. He's up there talking about the, um, he can't trust Daryl Morey. This relationship is not fixable. As we know, James Harden will go to great degrees to uh, make his point in terms of, look, I'm not playing for y'all. I'm not going to play for y'all. He showed that when he was with Houston. Then he got traded to Brooklyn, and he showed that with Brooklyn. Now he's showing Philadelphia how bad he can be. He's showing Philadelphia how um, passionate and how committed that he is that when I say I ain't going to do nothing, I ain't going to do it. And when I say that I'm going to be a malcontent, when I say it's over, when I say the relationship is beyond repair, when I say all these things, I ain't bullshitting. So what's going to be your move? And it's going to be interesting because Daryl Morey is very, very uh, uh, easy to say, screw it, fuck it. I ain't, trading you for, I ain't trading you for nothing, James. Look, I understand what you're saying. 
I understand that you want to be traded. I understand that you can't trust me. I understand that you don't like me. But we ain't going to give you away. So since we ain't going to give you away, the best thing that you can do is to show up and play for the team. Period. So we have two stubborn, strong-minded, strong-willed people, button heads. And oh, by the way, you also have a guy who's watching all of this very intently by the name of Joel Embiid. If I'm Daryl Morey, I'm like, look, man, let's get a third team in there. Let's send them to the Clippers and let's get it done. Let's send them somewhere. Because the longer this goes on, I don't give a fuck about Harden and this type of stuff. If I'm a Philadelphia 76er fan, my deal is Joel Embiid. What's the temperature with Joel Embiid in terms of him taking a look at this and deciding whether he wants to be committed to this organization or he's going to come in and say, you know what, fellas, this ain't working and it's time for me to go somewhere else. So, so that's what I'm going to be taking a look at. But on my next podcast... Yeah, we're going to be getting into the NBA because I'm so excited. Wendell, are you excited about the NBA um, coming back on? I would have to plead guilty. So there we go. I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. As always, as usual, please do what you need to do to make this world a better place. Please, man, whether we're speaking about different religions, whether we're speaking about different races or genders or political whatever, man, See what we can do. I had an excellent conversation with some of the staff folks that on the cruise from India and from the Caribbean and others. And I always said the same thing to them because these guys were crazy hours, man. These guys are under contract with Carnival where they're working 12 hours a day, seven days a week for the most part. And these guys are from all over the country. They're from the, all over the world. They're from India. They're from the Philippines. They're from all over the place, right? And each one of them that I was speaking about, was speaking to, and I always like to get a little insight about, you know, what's going on, what's happening in terms of the job and, you know, how they feel about and this, that, and the other. And I always tell them, hey, look, man, I ain't seen one American ever working on one of these boats, whether we're speaking about a bartender, whether we're speaking about, you know, deckhands, whether we're speaking about guest services or whatever. And you, and you know the reason why? Because there ain't no way anybody from this country would ever, ever work for somebody and do the hours that you do. There's entrepreneurs in this country who will put in the hours that you do to help themselves if they're building their business. But working for somebody else and doing what you guys are doing, never. And all those guys were like, yeah, I know I know you wouldn't. I, I know we wouldn't. So we, we know that there ain't nobody from your country that will work the hours that we're working. So, you know, there you go. So it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. But, uh, yeah, so basically what I'm trying to say is, uh, you know, learn, grow, listen, have respect, and uh, try to spread some love around this world because, man, that's what we need. That's what we need. That's what we need. Wendell's World in Sports, please, for heaven's sakes, get me out of here with my music.